We're coming near to the end of our Why series, and uh, I've tried to outline some of the principles and practices of an apprentice of Jesus. Apprentice is another word, a picture for a disciple or follower of Jesus. Not only do we want to continually learn about God, but I'm more interested in how we can live out our faith. How can we live out the gospel? Because I believe the way of Jesus is the best way to live in order to experience the fullness of life. The way of Jesus shows us how to live according to how our Creator designed us to live. These practices show us um, how we can experience God and how we can show the full extent of God's love to others. So to recap, uh, these are the practices that we went over in this series. Hospitality, worship, church, community, confession, service, prayer, fasting, generosity, reading scripture, And last week was, why silence? Once again, these practices help us experience God's presence and activity in our lives. These practices help us grow in our intimacy with Jesus. Yet, as we have found out, these practices are so challenging because of our flesh, our busyness, our sinful desires, uh, pulling us away from engaging in these things. Uh, Many of these things uh, on this list are things that we rarely do or struggle to do. Uh, We don't know how to be hospitable necessarily. We worship only when it's convenient. There is division in our churches. We struggle to engage in community consistently, especially during and after the pandemic, which we're still currently in. We rarely confess, and only a handful of people are serving God through the church or through outreach. We struggle with prayer. We rarely fast. We are generous only if we have a surplus, but we never feel like we have enough. We struggle to find time to read scripture, and we find being silent for more than five seconds makes us awkward and restless. Are you encouraged yet? Um, And today I want to talk about our favorite subject, and that is why evangelism? For many of us, when we think of the word evangelism, it triggers anxiety in us. Uh, Before I continue, I do want to say... uh, that I want to help us assess where we are compared to where we are going and where we need to be. I just painted a bleak description of our reality, but we do have to be honest about our reality. If we're not, that's called delusion. But defining our reality is only the beginning. We can have hope because hopefully I've laid out a roadmap for our journey and in community we plan on journeying together and experiencing God. Next week uh, is an important Sunday that I hope you'll be able to hear how Grace Life can help you in this journey. Just to tell you my personal story and journey as a Christian, uh, I had been attending church my entire life from birth. I went through Sunday school and kids' church, which would magically transform to Korean school afterwards. Anyone also attend Korean school at church? Uh, So I was familiar with the Bible stories of God, uh, saying that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. And that was the literal extent of my experience with God. I knew in my head that Jesus loved me because the Bible said so. If you were to ask me what I loved about church the most, my reply would have been mm, Dunkin' Donuts. It wasn't until 8th grade when I went on a joint winter retreat with another large youth group that I actually wanted to go to uh, because the previous year there were pretty girls that I was able to um, you know, talk with and write long distance letters to the whole year and we would be able to meet up again at this retreat. It was at this retreat where I met God personally. I described my conversion experience as being scared into heaven. 
Until that point, I didn't know you could have a personal relationship with God, and that's what God wanted from us. I thought that learning about God was an educational exercise, but the speaker claimed that if we didn't receive Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that we would go to hell. And I remember uh, as a 13-year-old boy thinking, I don't want to go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. I was so scared to go to hell, so I quickly raised my hand to receive Jesus. And at that moment, it was like an out-of-body experience. I was weeping and confessing all the sins I could remember at that point. I was crying so hard where like long snot would be dangling from my nose, you know what I'm saying? Um, No place to wipe it except for my pants or carpet or... And I remember I was outside of myself looking down uh, at myself thinking, what in the world is happening? What is going on? This, this isn't me. This isn't my doing. I have no reason to cry like this. In my mind, I, I wasn't crying, but, my, but clearly my body was. It was like the Holy Spirit took control of, of my spirit and began a cleansing. And I was overcome with emotion because I felt like uh, the forgiveness of God uh, come over me. It was then right away uh, I got involved in serving my youth group. I was on fire for God. God was on my mind constantly. I couldn't wait to go to church. I loved church. I loved worshiping God. I loved being with our church members. And I think this was the beginning where it was my desire to see the church flourish. Looking back, I could see how I ended up in ministry because I wanted to see our small little youth group in Wisconsin flourish. And I took leadership over that. And when I was volunteering in youth group when I was in college uh, as a student here in California, I wanted to see our teens flourish and love God and experience God like I did. I wanted to see our youth group and our church flourish. I would invest lots of time and energy into these kids. And we saw God do some great things. Like gangster wannabe kids came to surrender their life to Jesus. Some of them ended up being pastors. Uh, We saw kids be set free from demonic activity and strongholds. We saw transformation of depressed kids because of Jesus. We saw kids become leaders of the church. We saw miracles happen. We saw people getting healed on the spot. We saw kids worship and love God with all of their heart for 12 hours one night at a retreat. We experienced a tangible presence and the power of God in our church. And I'm sure many of you have those cornerstone experiences and memories that you can't deny and that have changed your life also. So when I was asked to pastor my youth group, I said yes. Uh, because I couldn't think of any better cause to devote and give my life to. And now, 23 years later, here I am in Northridge as your pastor. During the journey to Northridge, God has shown me that He's alive in China, and the mainland believers there feel like they are people who have been rescued by Jesus. They're so thankful for Christ in their lives, they love God with all their heart, and their devotion to God is palpable. Ultimately, I feel called to Northridge because Though there are many churches, uh, I don't feel like there's enough vibrant, spirit-filled churches in the area, and I want to be a part of that building process here at Grace Life. If anyone is with me, say amen. So, that's my story. That's my testimony. That's what I've witnessed. And that's evangelism. Evangelism is not a dirty word. Evangelism is simply sharing your story, not only sharing your story, but sharing you. Offering yourself in Christ to another person, caring for them, investing in them, demonstrating the love of Christ to them, but also engaging with them about questions of the soul. There will be a time where you can engage in spiritual conversations and sharing your story with others and sharing what God has done for you. We tell each other stories all the time. I tell my story of how I saved the same kid from drowning on two separate occasions. 
Once in Israel in the Red Sea because he couldn't swim. Once on a White River rafting trip because he fell out of the boat. And by the way, that person will actually be here in person uh, in two weeks because I've invited a good friend of mine to speak for us. And he's bringing that guy with him. We tell each other stories of uh, great Black Friday sales and best practices for working out or losing weight. We tell each other stories about intermittent fasting and how we lost 15 pounds. We tell each other stories of tutors and how our kids got into good colleges. The point is, we tell stories all the time. And evangelism is telling your story. The last words of Jesus in Matthew 28 says, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So from this passage, we see that Jesus did not command the whole world to go to church. Jesus commanded his church to go to the world. Jesus did not command the whole world to go to church. Jesus commanded his church to go to the world. In 2 Timothy 4, verse 5, it says, Do the work of an evangelist. Now, uh, evangelism isn't my primary spiritual gift. What I mean is that I don't think I'm very good at it, but it still doesn't mean I don't want to see people to know Christ, nor does it mean that I'm exempt from doing the work of an evangelist. And, uh, you know, I have lots of excuses. We have lots of excuses. Um, it's like seeing a, a kid uh, being bullied and beaten up and, and saying, um, well, sorry, man, I, I don't have the gift of helps, so I can't help you. Or, you know what, I don't have the gift of prayer, so I can't pray for you. Um, but we tend to say, I don't have the gift of evangelism, so I can't tell you about God. Second Timothy says, do the work of an evangelist. For me, there's, there's still nothing better than seeing a life changed and someone crossing the line from darkness into light, crossing the line from death into life. What still affects me the most is seeing someone far from God get his life changed and put his faith in God. I cry almost every time when I see baptism videos or testimonies. Those testimonies are the best evangelists because they're sharing their personal story. Uh, we would love to regularly regularly hear stories of how God has blessed you, and, and I hope in the coming months that you'd be willing to share those stories with us on Sunday morning. I want you to see God's heart for the lost. God sent Jesus to us to seek and save the lost. That was his mission. It isn't the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. And if we spend time with Jesus and want to be like Jesus, we will soon find out that Jesus is passionate about lost people, and, and therefore our passion and love for the lost should continue to grow. If you look at Luke chapter 15, it's the only place in scripture where Jesus tells three stories in a row to make a single point. The Pharisees were criticizing him for reaching out to sinners, engaging with sinners, befriending sinners. So Jesus tell, tells these three stories. There's a sheep that is lost, and the shepherd leaves his entire flock of 99 sheep and launches an all-out search for his stray sheep. And when he finds it, he is overjoyed. Next, a woman who has ten valued coins loses one and turns the house upside down in a determined search to find the lost coin. She finally fi finds it and calls her neighbors over to tell them the good news and rejoices. Finally, and perhaps the most famous of these stories, a father loses a son who turns his back on him and takes his share of his inheritance even before his father dies, thus insulting him and walks out on him. The father, it seems, each day looks for his lost son, and when he sees him coming back, he doesn't turn his back on him or scold him, 
but filled with love, runs to him, breaking all social mores and conventions, and hugs his rebellious, wayward son, and kisses him, and throws this big party in celebration. In each story, we see that there's something of great value is lost. Then, a great effort is put into finding the lost item, and when it is found, there is great rejoicing. The point Jesus wants us to understand must be so important to him, and so important for us to understand, that he makes the same point in three different stories, just to make sure we don't miss it or misunderstand it. So what's the point? After the story of the lost sheep, he he adds, I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who do not need to repent. He ends the story of the lost coin by saying, In the same way, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. The father who gets his lost son back says, But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Jesus is saying God is like the shepherd, like the woman who lost the coin, and the compassionate father, he has lost something. Motivated by love, he puts tremendous effort into finding it and is overjoyed when he does. The object of God's search is for you and and me, his loved ones. You may have heard the phrase before that lost people matter to God. Lost people matter to God. They mattered to God so much that he sent his only son into the world. Lost people mattered so much to Jesus that he went to the cross. Jesus points out that the one thing that matters most to God is the lost. They matter so much to God that even when the lost are found, even one of them, all heaven rejoices and throws a party. There's more joy over one sinner coming to Jesus than over 99 people being right where they're supposed to be with God. If lost people matter this much to God, shouldn't they matter this much to us? Shouldn't we be trying to reach the lost? And the answer is yes. A few chapters later in Luke, Jesus makes the same point in a different way. He explains his whole mission by saying, For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And as you hold that thought in your mind, hear these words from Jesus from John 20. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. As the Father sent Jesus, like the shepherd who lost a sheep, like the woman who searched for her lost coin, and the father who searched the horizon for his lost son, Jesus sends us as a church to seek and save the lost. Those who are lost are important enough to God to warrant an all-out search. The shepherd leaves the 99 and searches until he finds the one. The woman begins uh, begins by getting a light so she can see and then sweeps the whole house, searching carefully until she finds her lost silver coin. Let me give you this illustration. Uh, when there is a traffic accident, sometimes there are people who have sustained severe injuries. At the scene of these accidents, there are three groups of people, each with a different response towards those involved in the accident. The first group uh, is the bystanders and the onlookers. They're curious and watch to see what happens, but have little active involvement. The second group are, are the police officers. Their response uh, is to investigate the cause of the accident, uh, maybe assign blame or fault, give out the appropriate warnings and punishment. And then there's a third group uh, 
who are the paramedics, and they are the people usually most welcomed by those involved in the accident. And the paramedics, they could care less whose fault the accident was, and um, they did not engage in lecturing about bad driving habits. Uh, their response was to help those who were hurt. They bandaged wounds, freed trapped people, and gave words of encouragement. So three groups. One is uninvolved, one is assigning fault and assessing punishment, and the third is helping the hurting. And so let me ask, which group are you in? When it comes to reaching the lost and hurting, we're, we're going to be in one of these three groups. We will be either uninvolved and let others do the work, or we will condemn people for their foolish behavior, saying things like, it's your own fault that you're in this mess. If you'd been going to church and, and doing like you should, this would never would have happened. Or we will be concentrating on helping those who are lost and hurting. And I hope we will be a people uh, like those in the third group, in the last group, who are showing compassion. A gauge to tell if you're growing clo- closer to God is that you love what He loves and you hate what He hates. And God loves lost people. And so do you lost, love lost people? Uh, I'll never forget, I was in a conference in Chicago, and um, the speaker there told a story that has uh, still gripped me to this day. Um, he was going through his mail, and he was going through all the junk mail, and uh, every every day it seemed, or every week, um, he would get this little flyer, and there would be pictures of missing kids on it. And it would say, lost, have you seen uh, this this kid? And it would give the stats, you know, his age and his height and weight and all that stuff. And he would just begin to toss that into the, the garbage can every single day. Um, and he had been doing that for for years, just tossing out these uh, missing kids uh, flyers. Um, but one particular day, uh, it just gripped his attention. And um, and he stared at the, the picture a little bit longer. And um, he, he, was, he was asking himself, how come I don't care about these kids? And his answer uh, was that it's because it's not my kid. I don't care about these these kids on this flyer because it's it's not my my kid. But this day he he realized that the the faces on on that flyer is a picture of someone's kid, someone who is desperately uh, wanting to find their lost kid, and they care so much because it is their kid. The reason why he didn't uh, care about these kids is because simply it wasn't his kid. And then he uh, tells a story of how at 9-11 in New York, at Ground Zero, uh, right when it happened, there would be family members just walking around for for days, for 10 days, 20 days, even a few months after uh, the tragic incident. And as he's watching the news in his mind, he's just thinking, just just give it up, face it, they're gone. You're not going to find them. But then it, it, it hit him, the realization is that uh, these family members, they, they can't give up because these are their loved ones. This is their child. This is their mother. This is their loved ones. And, and they, they, they can't give up because if your love is deep enough for your loved ones, your love doesn't give up. And he was saying how all of these kids that were lost on the flyer, all of these people who died at Ground Zero 
They are all God's kids. They're all God's children. And he cares for them. That all of those who are lost are God's children and he cannot give up on them. That he will continue to search for them because lost people matter to God. For God, he doesn't want anyone to perish, but he wants all of us to come to repentance. He wants all people to be saved and and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For God to love the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, so that who anyone who believes in him might have eternal life. And the church exists to, to reach people for Christ. We are now God's representatives on the earth, reaching out to share the good news of Jesus Christ. Evangelism, evangelism is a sen- essential purpose to the church. It's not one of a number of, of options. It's, it's, it's to be our priority because while we are here on earth, evangelism is, is only reserved for us here on earth. In heaven, we will be worshiping, we'll be in community, but we can't evangelize in heaven. We can only do that now, and God's given us this opportunity now while we're still on earth. So there are two things that we can do while we wait for opportunities to share with our loved ones. Number one is pray. Continue to pray for the salvation of your loved ones, family, co-workers, neighbors. Continue to ask to ask God to soften their hearts. But two, understand that it's a process. On average, it takes at least seven presentations of the gospel message to people for before they receive it. And so you may be number four in the process. You, you don't know. It's it's not your job to finalize the deal. Just just share your story. Someone could say, you know, you're the third person this week that have, that has talked to me about God. Maybe maybe I should consider it. Uh, North Point Church in Atlanta has has a great philosophy that um, that maybe we can uh, adopt, and it's. It's invest and invite. Invest and invite. Invest in people. Invest in your coworkers. Uh, invest in your family members. Invest in your friends that are far from God. Invest in your, um, you know, uh, store clerk or, or, or someone like that. Care for them. Demonstrate love for them. Show interest in them. Uh, maybe provide for them. Meet meet some of their needs. Invest in that relationship. Build that friendship. And then invite them. Invite them to church, invite them to a function, invite them to a small group, invite them uh, to your home. Um, North Point says that um, the, the, what invitation means is, is that this is how they invite them. You know, life is complicated, and I know you want to get it right, and so we want to help. Life is complicated, we know you want to get it right, and we want to help. And that's how I feel. I, you know, I know life is complicated. I feel like life is complicated. And I want to get it right. And, uh, uh, and I want to help. And so we can um, kind of use that for others. Well, the question is, well, okay, well, who should, who should you invite? And uh, North Point says, when you hear the three knots, and knots, N-O-T, meaning when you hear someone say, I'm not going to a church. Oh, maybe you should come to my church. Or when you hear, you know, things are not going well. Well, you know, maybe, you know, if you come to my church, we can help you. Or if you hear, man, I was not prepared for this. I was not prepared for this transition. I was not prepared for uh, my promotion. I was not prepared for um, this breakup. I was just not prepared. Say, hey, maybe you should come to my church. Uh, It's because uh, we believe that the gospel of Jesus answers the questions of our soul. 
right? Because that, that that's our goal at Grace Life. That's my goal. I, I, I want to help you see how the gospel is applied to work, to family, to relationships, to challenging circumstances. That the gospel provides the answers to the questions of the soul. So, evangelism is everyone's ministry. It's not just the pastor or those with the gift of evangelism. But, like I said, evangelism is also processed, like a chain with many links. And so even pre-evangelism is important. We need to, to be a blessing to our community, uh, build relationships with people far from God, serve people's needs, and then be prepared to share the good news of Jesus Christ. For the Great Commission is both go and tell and come and see. And let me end with this. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Uh, songwriter Keith Green, um, who was very popular in the 70s, um, wrote a song called Jesus Commands Us to Go. And that song is more in the context of uh, going out on overseas missions. But I feel like uh, the lyrics um, are relevant for our uh, hesitation to get out of our comfort zone and, um, and share the gospel of Jesus. And the, the words uh, to the chorus of that song says, Jesus commands us to go, but we go the other way. So he carries the burden alone while his children are busy at play, feeling so-called to stay. Jesus commands us to go. It should be the exception if we stay. It's no wonder we're moving so slow when his church refuses to obey, feeling so-called to stay. And basically, he's pointing out that um, that we're not willing to go, that we feel so called to stay and be comfortable in our bubble, and um, but there's a, a, a lost world out there, a world who's dying without the hope and the um, forgiveness of Jesus Christ in their lives, and so God calls us to go and share the gospel, and uh, that's why uh, we evangelize. Let's pray. Lord, we just pray for our loved ones and those who are uh, far from you, those who are lost, those who are searching and seeking for for help, for something that they can hold on to. Um, Lord, in the midst of their uh, the wa- their waves and their storms, uh, Lord, we pray that you would be the, the foundation, Lord, that they would know that, that they are loved. And so, God, we pray for our loved ones, um, Lord, who are rebellious. Uh, Lord, we pray that you would soften their hearts and uh, that they would be able to uh, humble themselves and and know that they need a Savior, um, that they would be willing to receive you. So God, we just ask for your grace over uh, those who are far from God. Give us a passion and burden uh, for those who are lost. Uh, Help us to love the things that you love and help us to hate the things that you hate. And God, we know that lost people matter to you. Uh, So Lord, we pray uh, for them and we pray over them and we pray with them. We thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.